Welcome back, everybody, to episode 42 of Say Who Say Pod. He is Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. I feel like this isn't the first time this has happened, Danny, where we've dropped an episode and then it was still just seven days later. It's not like we were off schedule or anything, but a few things happened in between that kind of made it feel like the, the, the world had changed a little bit before we uh, we dropped another episode. And uh, that's the case. That's the case this week because, as I think everybody knows by now, Jen Cohen has been named to the, the college football playoff <laughs> selection committee. That was well done. That, that was that was well played. I didn't see that coming. I, 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 I truly didn't. And you'd even mentioned it before the episode started. And I was like, yeah, that was good to see. I don't know how much that's going to help our overall West Coast playoff inc- inclinations. But yes, Jen Cohen. Jen Cohen, part of the power trace. Does she take the spot that Condoleezza Rice was holding? Um, well, Rick George <laughs> was one of the uh, Colorado AD was one of the outgoing. So maybe. Ah, Rick George. Yeah. He's someone who has accumulated far too much power within the Pac-12, given his status as a member of one of the colonies. You think so? <laughs> no, not really, but I like to kid on it. Like He he certainly has become very involved uh, in terms of coverage of the Pac-12. Tom Berman, Rick George, and John Urschel are the three uh, outgoing CFP committee members. Jen Cohen joins along with Chris Alt, longtime uh, head coach and AD at Nevada, and David Saylor, the uh, athletic director at Miami University, Miami of Ohio. So, Dave Bowling has a really funny Chris Alt story. Does he? I believe it relates to Chris Alt's relative flexibility when it came to rules of golfing. Oh, one of <laughs> I believe those. there may have been some liberties taken during a scramble in which Bowling, who's very, 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 very particular about following rules, I, I don't, I, I don't think looked very kindly upon the, the the relatively loose interpretation of things. I didn't even know Bowling played golf. I think it was on one of those. I, I think it was when he was, maybe it was when he was working in Idaho, even before he went to to Spokane. I think it was a a college football like conference event. Oh. Um, where where you kind of get mixed up and you play in a scramble that includes coaches and media members, so probably not the overall conducive. I love Dave um, and Chris Oltz. Chris Oltz had a really pretty strong impact, given that he was the coach at, at Reno. Like he's really well regarded by a number of pretty high level, like Jim Harbaugh being one of them with the use of the pistol and the, yeah, the way that pistol. was incorporated. Yeah, yeah. Um. um I, I don't. A... I don't. I don't think the CFP playoff committee is the biggest thing that happened with regard to this podcast in the past seven days. <laughs> it is. A, it's a. It's a significant. Uh, I think acknowledgement of Jen Cohen's place in the the college football landscape, and we can talk about maybe what what it means if if anything for Washington and the Pac-12 going forward. But yes, you're right. Uh, some things have, have changed a bit in in my universe, but um, by the time you're done listening to this podcast, I hope that you believe as I do that things don't necessarily need to have changed in, in yours um, with regard to the way that you consume Washington football news. For those who don't know, uh, I was laid off by The Athletic on Friday. Um, it was a, a brief discussion, not a lot of details shared. Uh, all I know is, is that it's related to the size of, of the audience for um, for Washington football, the, the size of the readership for Washington football, which um, you know I, I believe was, was healthy. Um, but the company has its its own ideas and its own plans for growth, and 
um, you know, has its own metrics that it's looking at. And, you know, it made the decision that it, it didn't make sense to cover Washington football exclusively anymore. So um, the long and the short of it for, for you, the listener, the reader, the, the subscriber, or perhaps ex-subscriber at this point, is that you can't get exclusive, um, dedicated Washington Huskies football coverage on The Athletic anymore. But I am pleased to let you know, um, even as we're recording this, this this hasn't been released publicly yet, and I'm still uh, still ironing out some of the finer points. But uh, as you're listening to this now, you can navigate to my new Substack site and newsletter on montlake.com. And if you subscribe to read my work at The Athletic, if you follow me on Twitter, um, I think you know the kind of stories I write. You you know um, the the type of sort of differentiated angles I like to pursue, and hopefully you, you've come to, to understand and appreciate the inside access I have to the program. And that's not changing, you know, because as as uh, as tough as Friday's news was to take for me personally, and you know everybody who's who's gone through it, which certainly a number of you listening have it's it, it happens um you know I, know I know danny knows what it feels like too uh, as much as i have tried to sort through kind of my own mixed emotions and feelings and you know anger and disappointment and concern about the future and all this stuff um i know that that a number of you are are looking for somewhere else to read your washington huskies coverage now and i want to provide that for you on Montlake.com, we'll provide that for you. I'll continue to have the same access. Um, I'm gonna. I plan to write the same type of stories and, you know, take you behind the curtain. Hopefully, like you feel I, I already did at the Athletic. Um, so, you can navigate to OnMontlake.com. Check out. There's a couple different subscription options. It's gonna start at $65 for an annual subscription. Um, $8 a month if you want to start out monthly and just kind of check it out, see what it's all about. Uh, you can also become a friend of the program and give a little bit more than that if you want to support me as we as we get started here. But um, if you're unfamiliar with Substack, you know Danny has a great Substack, the Dang Apostrophe. Get a little plug in there. Um, it's a newsletter delivered straight to your email inbox. So if you don't want to add a new app or you know bookmark a new website, obviously everything will live on the website on Montlake.com. But everything I write also will be delivered directly to your email inbox. You don't need to go any further than Outlook if you don't want to to read my stuff if, if you purchase a subscription. Um, and the podcasts, at least in the interim, for the time being, will uh, will remain free. So um, there might be a, uh, a free story or two as, as I kind of get started. But I don't want to, you know, I, I want to be pretty transparent about the fact that eventually, you know, to get the, the good stuff, so to speak, um, it it is going to mostly live behind a paywall. So um, that said, there will still be some stories that are open that are that are non paywalled as as I kind of get going. If you want to see what it's all about, but that's the new venture. If you liked what I did at the Athletic, onmontlake.com is your new destination for unique, differentiated, informed, sourced Huskies football reporting. I'm sorry, Christian. Like, I I want to go back. Um... I've unfortunately seen a lot of people that I know in sports journalism go through this process and the industry itself has, it's really transformed. I would say kind of over the course of my career, like I 
graduated from college in 97 and I went to work at ESPN.com as kind of the, the beginning of, of a dot-com era. And I think we're, we're now kind of at the other end of the transformation to that. And what, what has happened is, is a loss of the kind of coverage that you provide. I'm really excited about On Montlake and you, you continuing to provide that kind of work. Um, my experience with with having a newsletter, which is is different because my newsletter's not sort of an extension of what I was doing before I got let go from the radio station. It's it's some some Seahawks stuff because I'm really interested in that, but it's also some personal stuff. Like I don't have a great business proposition for for people in the same way that On Montlake is going to be a continuation of the work that you've done. I'm glad you're continuing to do that. And I'm, in all honesty, very optimistic about what that can mean for the future. And of all the different changes that I've seen my friends go through, or I guess I'm using euphemisms, of all my different friends who I've seen their careers either cut short or changed by business decisions, this was the most surprising to me. And some of that is because of what I know about where Washington is as a program and the size of the Seattle market. And most of it is because of how I feel about your work and the ways in which your work specifically, I think, embodies the the type of work that is going to continue to thrive and is important and valued by people. And I think the reaction on Twitter to other people who, similar to me, have an appreciation for your work reflects that, that like there's a lot of things now in sports media where you have scoopsters who are pursuing sort of getting a piece of news incremental moments before it's become be, becomes uh widely known like there are people who are transactional in reporting things that have happened and your work is extremely thoughtful and and i think in those sort of ways is is, is as I, I thought of it it's like it's it's the way the job should be done um i'm excited that you're going to continue to do that i'm also just really bummed um that that you're having to go through this because there's an element to it that really sucks too and it's in some ways it's it's a reflection of the business but it's hard for that not to feel pretty personal when when it's something that you put a lot of yourself into um and and you do as 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 a journalist you put a lot of yourself into your work well i I appreciate the kind words and i'm glad you brought that up because I was talking to somebody yesterday who said, man, you know, it's, it's a bummer that, you know, you need to go through like something really, really terrible. You know, I don't want to overstate it. You know, you, losing a job is not the worst thing that can happen to a person, but yeah, it's a bummer. You have to go through something that sucks to kind of find out, you know, en masse how many people appreciate the work that you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, you know, it needs to be, it needs to be recognized too. Like what a privilege that is. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was growing up, my dad worked at the local aluminum plant in Longview 
for 21 years and it was bought and sold and bought and sold and um, eventually shut down. You know, a, a plant that was a community institution and employed 900 plus people um, went away. And obviously he lost his job as part of that. And, you know, I, I watched him kind of bounce from job to job and, you know, go out and drop applications off and, and take, you know, pick up temporary work or, you know, well, we can hire you now to do this, but, you know, we'll reevaluate in six months type of thing. And, you know, it, that was, it was kind of like that for the rest of his career until his last job where he got some stability and, um, you know, was a few years ago, fortunately able to retire still at 59 and a half. So it, it, you know, it, it teaches you a couple things. One is that it still can work out. You know, that's, that's maybe the bigger takeaway, but also like, somebody in my dad's position, most people who lose their job, it's, it's really lonely. And it's this life altering, you know, really stressful event that you have to respond to and figure out how you're going to replace your income and make up for changing health insurance premiums and, and all those sort of things. But most people just, you know, they, they have their, their close circle to kind of help them get through it if they're lucky. Um, so to be able to, to, you know, to have a public facing job where, hundreds of people have an outlet to tell you they appreciate your work. You know, it, it's very gratifying. I, I saw and read, you know, every single person who reached out to me. Um, it's all very appreciated. Um, and it's also all data, you know, mm-hmm. it's data that informed my next step. I, I got to say, when I've seen people lose their jobs before and turn to the, the independent model, whether it's Substack or their own site otherwise, I've always kind of thought, oh, man, that's that's a, that's a tough thing to venture out on. You know, I don't, if I found myself in a similar position, like, you know, trying to make a, truly trying to make a living doing something like that. I don't know. I don't know if that'd be the move. And right when I got the news Friday, I can't say that I immediately thought, Oh, well, I'll just start my own site and do the same stuff and it'll be fine. But the outpouring of people saying, you know, who were, you know, frankly pissed off Mm -hmm. that the athletic wasn't going to have coverage of their favorite team anymore. Who said, this was why I subscribed. I no longer have a reason to subscribe. You know, it, it kind of informed, well, okay, you know, maybe this is something I should consider and, and let's see where it goes. So, um, it, you know, thank you, first of all, to everybody who has reached out and, and continues to reach out, um, not just for lifting my spirits, but also for, for giving me some pretty valuable data to work with to, to make me believe that um, this next step and, and this new venture at onmontlake.com can can really take off it's so it's been 15 months 16 months since since i got let go from the radio station and in that time i've definitely pivoted where i'm working on some different things um and 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 like i said like i what what i'm trying to do now is not a continuation of what i was doing before but one of the things that has been very encouraging to me is that when you step outside of a, a media company, it used to be that you needed a radio station for people to hear you, or you needed uh, somebody with a printing press for them to be able to read you, or you needed ESPN.com with its traffic for anybody to be able to find what you were doing unless you wanted to write on a blog for your friends that might then be sort of shared. But And... The reality is, is that the business of sports journalism has changed in that you can find 
and develop an audience for for what you do without having sort of a bigger company behind you. And ultimately, like that's a really exciting sort of possibility. I'm excited to see what will happen for your coverage and for for what you'll do when it's sort of up to you what what you'll write about and how you'll write about that and i know that it's been it feels much different to be writing for people than it does to be sort of writing for people and a boss <laughs> like there's because there, there's there's always there's always two two levels of that and this isn't about anybody Specifically, because I, I generally, I generally believe like the athletic has been a really good thing for sports journalism. Like it has. Oh yeah. Like, There's it, no question. And, There's no question. And, and it has. But at the end of the day, you're still like, like that, the cold calculus of we're just not sure if that readership is enough to to warrant sort of the investment toward it. And I'm like, well, I know that that audience is enough to sustain it if if you focus on appealing directly to that. So I don't know. There's a, there's a level of excitement. Like I'm bummed and, and I, I kind of don't agree with some of the business rationale, but I don't know the athletics business. I don't, I don't pretend to have a better side of that, but I was like, but I know from what I know of your work and what I've seen of the Washington fan base that I think this is a hell of an opportunity. Like I'm genuine, I'm bummed for what happened, but I'm genuinely optimistic for you. And I, I want to say too, like I, I also would not pretend to know what the business calculus is. I'm not, I'm not privy to those conversations. I don't have the expertise to participate in those conversations. It's, it's important to note. I think that, um, I know how many people signed up for subscriptions to the athletic through my stories over the last four and a half years. And if that number were a good deal lower than it was, I would not be as optimistic that I could make it on my own. But I know that whatever metrics were used to make this decision were not based on pure subscription numbers because I know what the subscription numbers are. So at Substack, um, the the views don't matter. The clicks don't matter. It's just about how many people want to pay to read your work, want to pay for your product, want to pay to help support you, whatever the reason. Um, and I, so I, I know what that audience is. Like there have been beats that the athletic tried that they parted ways with either during the layoffs um, because of COVID in 2020 or, you know, as contracts come up here or there, you know, you've, you know, you've, you've seen them make similar you know, business decisions like all media companies do, like all companies in every industry do. Um, Washington was not that kind of beat at the athletic. It was not one where, Hey, Washington fans just aren't turning out to subscribe to the product. We're, we're just not making, you know, no, we, we made progress that way. And, um, and I'm confident and, and hopeful and certainly will be thankful and, and very grateful if, if I can make progress that way on, on my own with this new venture, uh, because you know, this isn't, Oh, uh, Christian's going to start a sub stack writing his opinions on Husky football while he looks for full-time work. Um, I reserve the right to look for full-time work. Certainly, you know, I don't, I'm not signing that away. Uh, this is like, you know, not, not to use more colorful language than folks are used to on the podcast, but ain't shit changed. Okay. 
this is this is this is still me this is still access i'm still at press conferences i'm still at practices i'm still talking to the people you want to read about so i i i don't want anybody to get that confused in the words of slim charles from the wire the game be the game just got more fierce <laughs> well i don't know about that <laughs> What a good, Slim Charles is one of the uh, best characters on that show, by the way. Dude, his his voice is fantastic. I think he's a figure in sort of the Washington, D.C. hip-hop scene. Um, and I think that was that was kind of how they found him. I, 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 think, I think he's an, an entertainer um, was, was kind of how they came to him. And he's definitely been an actor and gotten more roles since then. Um, but yeah, I, I, I loved his character. I also like I with this new site, I, I'll probably indulge myself every now and then in a story that's a little bit off the beaten path where like, you know, I want to make clear nobody at The Athletic ever told me no on anything. Like there's a great deal of autonomy there and they encouraged, you know, and still do people to to think outside the box and write weird stuff. And um, but there were some things that were like, like hyper, hyper, hyper local that, you know, sports related, maybe prep sports related, like in my hometown where I thought. I'd see it and think, man, like that'd be a, that'd be a fun column. Like that'd be, you know, just a fun little thing to write about. But like they're at the athletic, like there's nowhere for that kind of thing to really go. Um, so I might, I might venture into some of that every now and then, you know, I might subject you to, uh, some lower Columbia college basketball features from time to time. <laughs> Who knows? The, one of the things that I've found on Substack is that one of the things that resonates with, the people who subscribe the most is when I do write about pretty intensely personal stuff. And not to say that you should become like whiny, uh, like I am or work in the, w- w- what someone described to me as the male vulnerability space. <laughs> <laughs> like seriously, like it seems like you're moving into the male vulnerability space. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I was like, I just always been a dude that cries easy. <laughs> It's just me, man. Like that's not some sort. Are we supposed um, to be encouraging that? (laughs) No, they thought they were. They it was a compliment. Like it was. No, it was really meaning. Like yeah, like it's just yeah, it's so vulnerable. (laughs) That's good. Then I thought I thought this was a a derisive comment. No, no, no. It was it was meant to be. It was meant to be uh, sort of that I had achieved some sort of higher plane of consciousness, and I was like, no, actually, my vulnerability has caused me a lot of problems over the years. Um, there's a connection there that is, it's more than just like when, and I felt this, when people subscribe, they, they're doing it because of the, they like what, what I write about and they, they're seeking out my opinion in some, but they also are doing it because they want to support what you're doing in a way that has been, it's provided sort of an affirmation or an encouragement like I didn't expect it to be as much as it was or as strong as that's felt. Um, so like there, there are opportunities that you don't have to convince anyone to write a story about a high school basketball coach. Like you can just do it and see how people respond. And what I've found is that people, when they, when they've sought you out, they are generally pretty supportive and, and, and patient 
and want to sort of sort of see those things. And at worst, they'll be like, eh, this this one isn't for me. I'll get back to the main stuff. Um, it's been it's been a it's been a very encouraging experience, I would say, um, not having a media boss and sort of seeing like, okay. Like this, you you still can make a go of things. And actually, in some ways, it's more affirming because I don't have to do some of the stuff that I thought was stupid before. Yeah, I'm looking forward to answering to myself and, and to, you know, to my subscribers, first and foremost. It's, you know, I'm I'm making a, I'm trying to like create some mental space already for the things that are going to come up that, that, oh, this didn't, you know, I've always had an employer who handled this. This didn't occur to me type of things, you know. Uh, obviously travel is, is going to be one. Um, and you know, that'll, that'll just kind of depend on what revenue looks like. Right. And I'll, I'll make, you know, I'll be efficient and I'll be smart and, um, you know, try to, try to put whatever travel dollars I, uh, I end up allocating, you know, to really, to really good use. So, um, there'll, there'll be some things like that that pop up, but the bottom line is, I'm I'm not done writing about this team. You all still deserve a high level of coverage that's that's different that's unique that's a little bit you know not super tied in to the to the day-to-day 24/7 news cycle um but still gives you timely analysis and and kind of big picture look at what's going on and uh what you need to know today and this week and everything so um I hope that uh I hope you'll check it out I hope you'll consider it um certainly grateful to everyone who does and I'm excited to to get started and look this isn't the worst timing for this. Um, Kalen DeBoer talks to the media on Friday to preview spring practices, which begin on uh, on Monday, March 6th. There's three of them next week, and then they take a long break um, and come back for the rest of them, uh, basically at, at the end of March and then through April with the spring game on, on uh, I think it's April 22nd. Um, but, uh, you know, come Come uh, check out what's happening at spring practices because I'll be there just like I was before. I'm excited to see what happens with your coverage and I'm excited to continue. And frankly, like there was when we first talked, I didn't want to provide any sort of here's what you should do, like sort of prescriptive advice, because it's it's hard. It's hard to work in journalism and it's hard to cover a team and in in going through watching a bigger employer kind of decide like, yeah, we like what you're doing, but we're going to go in a different direction. I was like, I I wouldn't want to be a voice that was saying, Hey, what you should really do is like hang your own shingle and go out for it. But I was really excited when you said that's what you were going to do. Um, because I do, I, I, I I just, I think it's going to be a great opportunity. Um, and selfishly as a Husky fan, I'm really, uh, grateful to be able to continue to read you. Um, as a friend, I I think that the the world of sports journalism would be a poorer place without your your content. And then, sort of strictly as someone kind of looking at, based on my own limited experience, I think there's a hell of an opportunity here. So I'm I'm excited, Christian. Well, I appreciate it, man, and I, I appreciate our conversations over the last few days. And it's it's kind of strange. Like I've I've heard from multiple people and I wouldn't put you in this category, but I've heard from multiple people who I would describe as like naturally conservative or risk averse in these sort of situations who were like highly confident and optimistic that this could work. And that was kind of, that was kind of strange. Like 
people who I would I would think would be the the last ones to say like, oh yeah, definitely go try to do your own thing for sure. Like have actually said that. And I'm like, oh, well, this person thinks I can do it. And this person thinks I can do it. And, you know, some people who have done it and are doing it think that it could work. You know, why not? And like there's a, it's a risk to try to project it out to be your job full time, like long term. It's less of a risk in the interim um, just because you're not really, you're not um, investing a ton of money, right? Like there's not startup costs to this really outside of like purchasing the domain, which you don't actually have to do. I did. Um, and, and maybe, you know, a couple other things, but, um, it's not like, you know, that's, that's what, what's kind of great about this, about Substack and about kind of the, the self, the self publication, um, subscription generation that we're in right now. Like before, if you wanted to go it alone, you had to get somebody to, to design your website and, you know, probably rely on advertising and, um, you know, asking people to, to pay money for journalism, was not as mainstream even five years ago as it is now. And so um, just a lot of factors lining up uh, that, that kind of pointed to giving this a try. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to the freedom. Um, hopefully it's lower stress. Uh, again, I'm sure it'll be stressful in certain ways that I'm not even thinking of right now. And there's probably folks listening who have, who have, you know, gone independent in their industry and, and might be might be thinking, yeah, you know, not it's it's not all it's not all glamour and glorious working for yourself. You'll find out soon enough. But uh, I am excited for it, and uh, you know, I I hope I hope folks come along. Go go was the type of hip hop that Slim Charles starred in. Oh, yeah, the go go scene in when, Washington D.C. When was that? Ah, it's kind of like early two thousands. Are you talking about the the character that Slim Charles is based on? No, the dude, the dude that plays it. The actual actor, okay. Yes, yeah, and and Go Go is the is the type of Washington D.C. hip hop that was popular. I I don't like it. Like I'm not a I'm I'm not a Go Go fan. Uh, but yeah, I I just just wanted to loop back and verify that my uh ridiculous assertion regarding Slim Charles actor was uh was correct. Do you do you listen to like modern hip hop artists? I was I was talking with someone the other day who's like, I realized I have not listened to any new music since 2017, <laughs> and that like that's the official marker that I'm old, and I'm yeah. not quite there yet. But there, like, I feel like the Grammys or just the radio or I, every new and not just hip hop, every new like musical artist I I. Every musical artist who's on the top 40 charts, I'm like, I have not heard of most of these people. I guess I'm old. I'm a little more familiar with pop and like pop music um, than I am with 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 sort of current hip hop. I, I would I would identify the sort of differentiating line as the Migos and Future. Like when all of the rappers started doing the da 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 flow. Yeah. I was like, OK, I can't I can't get into this. Um, that's when I became old there. Um, but I've also found that because I was less, uh, less following, like I did not follow hip hop as closely that like, I've got a whole new group of people that I identify as new who aren't new at all. Like ASAP Rocky. I've been listening to him for a good solid eight months now. I don't even know if he makes music anymore, but like, there's a whole five year window of his productivity that I got to and kid Cuddy who like me works in the vulnerability space. Yes, he does. (laughs) 
Love Kid. Love Cudi. me some Kid Cudi. Love Kid Cudi. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm old. I've been old for a long time. Uh, right before the pandemic started, I went and saw a hip hop concert by Atmosphere, which is a group from Minneapolis. Oh yeah, and and they they were sort of indie backpack rap at what I would consider the point where I probably knew the most. Like I was the closest to cool I've ever been at that point, like 2000, 2001, I was still a long way from being cool. But like that was, that's like the one part where I would say like, actually I know something about hip hop from that era. Um, and now they do dad rap, like, I feel like straight dad rap, talking about stepping on Legos, like mom jeans. <laughs> like it, it's it, like they, they do straight dad rap now. I feel like Sunshine by Atmosphere is the uh-huh. ultimate like I'm having a good day song. Yeah. Yes. It's a good it's a good song. Not to be confused um, with Ain't No Sunshine by Atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, that's also they have a they they have a lot. They had a difficulty or nothing but sunshine. How do you when your entire brand is being a miserable misanthrope who's unsuccessful and loathed by women? What happens when you get successful presents a unique professional challenge? <laughs> yeah, it does. Because that was I one of their albums was called God Loves Ugly. Like they had excerpts of people cursing at him on his voicemail as part of like the interludes between. And then they became famous. <laughs> they really it, they lost some of their best material. And then he got sober and they were really screwed. Yeah, that's that would be like, fully sober. Do you have to start do you have to start making songs about how well, like that. You, no, you, you start rapping just, about mom jeans and stepping on Legos. You could just go the Mike Jones route. <laughs> Mike Jones. Like, look, back then they do? didn't want me. Now I'm hot. They all on me. <laughs> That's just how this thing goes. Uh, there's an NFL reporter named Mike Jones, which always I've always loved. Uh, he's a great dude. Uh, actually lives in Washington or was worked in the Washington D.C. area. So dude, most recently, somebody was like, the "Question from Mike Jones," and Mike McDaniel was Mike Jones. I saw that. Who? <laughs> Mike Jones. Mike Jones uh, got big when I was in high school, and I like uh-huh. we definitely sent a text or two to two eight one three three zero eight zero zero four. And it's I really his name. It it really it's was his number. No- I think he still has it. I think That's it's still awesome. his phone number. I think I saw it like on his Instagram or something recently. <laughs> oh, it's great. I saw there's a. I think he came out to a Texas Tech practice once when Mike Leach was there. So there are there are photos of of Mike Jones with Mike Leach. Oh, that's funny. I could see Leach having a very entertaining conversation with a rapper. And it's funny because I feel like the like obviously like Mike Jones' music was enjoyable to listen to. I listen to him all the time, and I still do. Um, just because like that's you know I was I was I was young and and as cool as I I guess I would ever be um, when when he was as at the height of his popularity, but like. Still tipping with him and Slim Thug and Paul Wall is like an elite tier rap song, and I'm I'm very pleased that it seems to have been recognized as such over the years. Like you you hear it fairly often, you see people sample the beat a lot. Uh, J Cole just did like an amazing freestyle over it uh, in studio. If you YouTube that. You just kind of it just kind of seems to pop up. I'm glad that that song in particular seems to have like a a long shelf life because it totally deserves it. It's in a it's every time it's on, that's like that's got to be maximum volume, and I'm I'm listening to this till the end. 
Yeah. It's it's great to have. It's when you have like songs like that for me, The Chronic by Dr. Dre. Oh yeah. Is that cuz that's like my junior senior year of high school. Um it's writing in a car with a bunch of other white suburban kids uh nodding our heads to to that and yeah, there's Like the way that it invokes certain periods, like music can do that in a way that very few things can. Um, We were actually talking about it. I spent a good chunk of my high school years waiting at the Deluxe Foods parking lot, which was the shopping market. This is a shopping store that was down the road from where I lived because we were, nobody even had pagers when I was in high school. Like that's how old I am. And so you had to sit there and wait for your friends to show up. Uh, before you could go out and do something. So as a result, um, people got really good at playing hacky sack because that's, that, that's what we did while we sat there and waited. Um, and I was like, do kids even know what that's like now? Like having, you can't just get an update of like, hey, I'm running 10 minutes late. Like, yeah. You'd have to go sit there and wait there for a half an hour and decide whether or not that dude is going to really show up. And then when he got there, one of the most chronically late people, it was actually a great tactic. Uh, he would be mad when he showed up late. And so it was like, and I was always like, we should be mad at you. And like, you come in here like, oh, you're just so angry about this. And I was like, what? What? You don't get to be mad. Like, we've been waiting on you. And now you come in here. I'm convinced it was just, maybe it's genius on his part that he'd figured out a way to counter program our anger at him for being late. Well, then the modern equivalent of that is like figuring out who in the group when they text saying, I'm on my way is actually <laughs> on their way, or if that means they're just getting out of bed. Oh, okay. So and so, oh, he he said he says he's on his way. All right. That you know that that means he he literally this is this is the he looked picked his phone up five seconds ago from you a know, deep slumber. I didn't consider that. There's a whole new element that has to be factored into behavioral analysis. Like maybe kids today are much sharper than I was. Yeah, maybe they're constantly having to evaluate like how seriously to take someone i just had no information like i don't know when this person's going to get here like you actually have data that you have to then sort of triangulate based on the reliability of the person who's providing it and no matter how many times they're they're stretching the truth and they're not actually on their way you feel like you got to like be ready like if they're picking you up or whatever you got to be ready because the one time if you're not ready they're gonna be like what the hell i I said i was on my way you know how far away i live why aren't you ready what is this uh, so I'm curious to hear from you, like setting aside any of the, the personal feelings or whatever on like setting my whole situation aside, like take me out of the equation as a Washington fan. How does it hit you that a major national media company that did provide dedicated coverage of your favorite team decided that it wasn't worth it anymore, especially in this modern landscape with the media deal lagging and pending and what's going to happen with that and speculation about is the conference going to splinter what's going on here does it does it add to your concern about the relevancy of pac-12 and west coast college football going forward yes it hit me right in my feelings in addition to sort of worrying about my friend christian and worrying about my industry in general it hit me right in my feelings because you have to remember that this came Right about the time that there was a report about Ion Television <laughs> being in pursuit of the Pac-12. A report that was pretty immediately uh, 
disputed by Stuart Mandel. Which, uh, this just gives you further evidence of how today's modern media world... I didn't know that Stuart Mandel reported that it was all hogwash until we talked yesterday. And I, I was like, oh, laugh. thank I for- God. I forget who it was, but somebody <laughs> somebody replied to to Stuart and was like, I in in no way am I am I like bad mouthing what you've just reported. I just want to point out that there's no truth to the rumors that, you know, Ion Sports is involved in the Pac twelve media rights negotiations is a hilarious sentence for a reporter to have written. <laughs> It's really funny. Like I was immediately, I was like, "Do they have room with all the Criminal Minds reruns that they like?" That's the only show that I'm aware of running on Ion Television. Um, so, yeah, it did. And I mean, s- seriously, like, there's this was a conversation that came up a lot at the radio station where I worked at, which was how much is Larry Scott to blame? If it's just a matter of people in the Midwest and and the South like college football more than all of you sort of well-adjusted people with other interests here in the Northwest and on the West Coast, that you're too highfalutin to really matter and you're relegated because you're not maniacal about it. You're relegated to, to second status. Like when you when you hear that a company in the athletic which one of the things that I loved most about their approach was that it was focused on local underserved markets. Like when the athletics started, it was focused on, Hey, there are a lot of hockey fans and there are a lot of soccer fans who are not getting the coverage from their newspapers, their local newspapers and the, the websites of those newspapers. And we think we can use that as a beachhead to expand. And then when you see that same company, now kind of looking at it and saying like, oh, Seattle, yeah, it's a big market. And that's, I mean, Washington and Oregon are kind of the two the two kings of what is left of that West Coast conference. And they're like, Washington's going to be really good. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I, I just don't think we can make the, it doesn't make financial sense for us to do it. I'm like, holy crap, maybe Ion Television is about the right level for whatever this Pac-12 <laughs> media deal is going to be. Like that. There, there was honestly, and I don't, I don't believe that, but yeah, like there was, there was a part of me that thinks like maybe I've got an outsized expectation about what Washington is. Yeah. I, 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 I was never under the impression that like this was anything other than like a, a smaller beat by athletic standards. They cover like with some exceptions, but for the most part, every pro sports team, right? Like, right. This is a Pac-12 college football team. You and I know what the following is. You know, you and I know what 70,000 people at Husky Stadium for a big game looks like and and feels like and what that atmosphere is. You know, there's nothing small time about that. But relative to, you know, every NBA franchise, every NFL franchise, and then, the you know, the major college football brands, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and and a handful of others, yeah. Like it, I, it's just a fact that the audience size is not what what it is for those other programs. So, you know, again, I don't know what the metrics are. I don't know what the financials are. My very best speculation, and it is, it is just that, is that it's advertising related. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, advertising pays based on clicks, and you can either devote salary to someone who's going to write for a very niche audience, Husky football, or you can devote salary 
to folks who are going to write for a broader national audience and and just inherently more people are going to click on those stories so that's a guess you know there could be levels and levels and levels to this that i you know i can't comprehend and and you know i'm not privy to so i wouldn't excuse me i wouldn't uh i wouldn't purport to actually know any of that but you know you do this as you know folks who have lost their job probably understand you you go through all the gymnastics of well well why because you know i know i know it wasn't because of subscription numbers yeah this is going to be at the risk of getting a little wonky in terms of sports media economics but to understand what has happened in the industry of print media what we would typically say were sort of newspapers, magazines, and then I I would include The Athletic as sort of a descendant of that. Even though there's not a print product, it is very much sort of a print mindset in, in the coverage. In the late 90s and early 2000s, every everybody recognized, okay, eventually everything's going to be online. And newspapers and magazines looked at it and said, okay, we're going to start moving our content online. And hopefully, by the time the print product is no longer financially viable, by the time that the people who subscribe and the advertisers who patronize that have no longer see that as uh, the, the prime entity, it's not paying our bills anymore, we'll have enough of an online audience that our ad dollars will just migrate over there. And the problem with that was that the overall pool of advertising money for for a newspaper is what you get online is about 10%. I I think that's most estimates, 10 to 15% of what the display advertising, like what that resulted, like the same content. If, if it, if it produced a hundred dollars online, when you move that in a mature, if it, if it produced a hundred dollars for your print product in 1998, that same content moved online in the modern online is going to produce about $15. If it produced a hundred, like that's, that's roughly the translation and the athletic sort of said, okay, we're going to, we're going to go with this a different way instead of basing it all on advertising and what you can get through your online advertising, you pay for a subscription. And, and what was really encouraging was that, that it grew and, and it, there was, there was sort of some evidence. And I, I would say that most Print newspapers now sort of hold that you have to have digital subscriptions. Like you can't, it used to be that a newspaper, the the subscription you paid for it got that paper to your door. What paid for the content in the newspaper, what paid for the reporter who covered the team that you liked was the advertising money. And now that's, that's not true. And it looked like with the Athletica, okay, you can take a model and you can get it that way. And, so the decision with, with regard to what the decision about the Washington beat recommends or recognizes, it was like, Oh crap. Like, so the subscription doesn't even necessarily explain how it is. And there's way more that goes into that. Like it's not a one for one. Like you said, the, the number of subscriptions generated by Washington coverage doesn't sort of explain their decision. Like there's more that goes into that, but that does sort of create this question of, is there enough appetite and I would say not just for Washington. But it's like, okay, does the Pac-12 or what's left of the Pac-12 have enough people that are interested in supporting it 
and paying for it to keep it above to keep it at a power five level i'm not even talking about like on par with the sec and the big 10 i can it can it be the big 12 because <laughs> it wasn't just the eye on television report there was a quote from ray anderson right the ad at at, at arizona state mm-hmm. who basically said that like yeah the tv deal is going to be fine it's just not going to be as big as we thought and i was like do not tell me that ray anderson the ad like, of baylor was quoted on the record like well if the pac-12 dies then you know we <laughs> We need to be ready was, to act. Was it like Rocky Force? Like, if it dies, it dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might have had a little more, uh, little more yeah. academia behind it, but yeah. But I mean, there's so there's something like yeah, I that's concerning to me, and I don't think there's a clear answer to that. Um, I know, for instance, if the Pac-12 signs a deal with with Apple. And they're like, hey, all of our games are going to be on Apple. I'd be like, great. I'm buying Apple TV and whatever it takes for me to get that. If they, it's some version of the Pac-12 network that's somewhere. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to buy that. I like, I like Pac-12 football. Right now, I have Sling, and it's entirely because that is what allowed me to get the Pac-12 network. I'm a little worried if there are enough people that are like me, not just in Washington's fan base, but on the remaining ten programs in the conference, to keep this from being. It's going to be bigger than the Big West, right? Like it's going to be the in the Power Five. And like recently, I was like, I hope, I I, I hope, but I'm not sure. Yeah, we'll see. I I tend to believe a media deal is going to get done, and there will therefore be a grant of rights that holds the conference together for the next whatever it is five years. Yeah, it's really hard to like put money on their survival after that. Just. Yeah, And like, I, I think that everybody kind of understands long term where college football is headed and it's going to be either one super league or two super leagues with all of the programs that the powers that be on the TV side have deemed worthy of competing on the highest on the highest level on the biggest stage. I've I've gotten questions and I I just don't know the answer to this. I don't know that anybody does, but like. When is the day going to come? Because everybody, you know, right now, it, those those power two are the SEC and the Big Ten, obviously. But the SEC and the Big Ten still have several programs in them that could never, ever, 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 ever compete for a national championship. That never, ha- never, ever compete for a conference championship. So when's the day going to come where the TV networks say, get rid of those schools? Yeah. And who knows? Yeah. That's Maybe. true. That's true. Poor Vanderbilt. Yeah. <laughs> No, they're just fine. The underdogs of the world. Founded by robber barons. <laughs> no, those rich kids are going to be just fine. <laughs> yeah, they'll be they're, okay. People, people from Vanderbilt are going to be... Did you Did you notice that there was like the first NCAA ruling over an NIL deal? I did see that for Miami women's basketball. Yes. <laughs> are you familiar with who those two players are? Um, I'm more familiar with the booster, but I, I know who they yeah. are. The Cavender twins. Um. I had I had been sort of looking at TikTok and trying to figure out like okay is this something that fits for any of the things that I'm going to try doing and I ultimately decided that no it does not. Um, what went into that calculus was it was it your date of birth or? It's the date of birth. It's also the nature <laughs> of like okay what do you get out of this? You get a lot of attention. Like and I think if you do it well, but ultimately it's making content for someone else. Like I don't think anybody is. I think you can get famous doing that. 
Um, I don't think I could get famous doing that. I could but, help you work on like the the little dances if you want. Yeah, but but like that's that's what you have to do. Like, there's no way that I could say like uh, I could not work in the male vulnerability space on TikTok, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Is there? What does that even no, look like? No, God, no, God. Oh, it'd be whiny talking about. It'd be like, I didn't realize how much my job was going to be providing a sense of meaning and understanding in my life, but it's really, it's really opened up a new chapter. But to, you got to, you to... got to have a little dance with it. <laughs> That's what sells it. You're like, no, you you do a little dance about all your like feelings and vulnerabilities and point and, and you point at, you point at all the little like bubbles that pop up on the screen next to you. <laughs> yeah, like, Things I didn't realize before I got laid off. <laughs> Burnout, <laughs> <laughs> insomnia, depression. <laughs> so, someone, someone's probably already done this. Oh my god! Uh, I still well, those maybe, are maybe so surreal. Yeah, we, maybe we've just brown, brainstormed a way for me to be able to do it. But um, <laughs> like the Cavender twins are super. Like, so I've seen their their account, um, and I think I also looked at it because the New York Times did a story on Livy Dunn, who's the LSU gymnast who's incredibly popular um especially on tiktok but they're told they do funny little videos and like they have their uniforms on and it's very like and they dance and they kind of have a little sort of routine where one plays one part the other one does something and then you read the story and it was like they're not none of the athletes are getting in trouble for any of this anymore they're just trying to decide whether the booster should get in trouble and the booster did get in trouble because of the meal that he provided him and i was like so it's just just, hilarious it's just the exact same thing as what it used to be right like the ncaa is trying to say like you can't induce athletes to go to your to to your school based on what you think that the social media can do for them like i didn't i didn't understand why the ncaa thinks that this is going to be meaningful in any way yeah i you know it's it's the oldest joke in the book about how you know if if USC breaks the rules, the NCAA finds a way to punish like Wazoo. Yeah. Yes. It, it's it's just so it, like oh uh, this NIL stuff is out of control, and you know we everyone knows like the five or six schools that are really brazen about it, and in particular the one booster or two who are really brazen about it. So and you know oh Jaden Rashada and all this, and uh, we we really need we really need to investigate this uh, Miami women's basketball these deals here. Yeah, it's if the NCAA went away tomorrow, what would we lose? Shoot. I mean really, like the the entire enforcement apparatus disappears. Like you still have the the basketball organizing unit is still there, but all of the the rules and oversight is just gone, shuttered. Do we d- does does college sports lose anything? I'm not sure that it does. No, because you would you would have some replacement entity to you know to to put on all the tournaments and yeah, and like that's I think multiple Power Five conference commissioners have called for their own structure among the five leagues, right? Because they want to determine who they who who they get to put in timeout. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll, we're gonna don't you worry about that. We'll figure who we need to put the brakes on and tell them to cool their heels a little bit. Um. Did and you then, listen to Ari Shapiro's interview with Mark Emmert? Yes, I did. <laughs> that was fun. There are a few things that have caused me more embarrassment as a UW alum than Mark Emmert. Um, I, it's, he's the most toothless bureaucrat 
that I think I've ever come across in real life. Um, it's just, I don't think he accomplished a single thing at all during his tenure as NCAA president. Like, I, I don't think he made one tangible change other than minimizing the amount of influence that his institution lost while being completely under siege at a legislative level across the country. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't think he instituted one valid or important level of reform in what is unquestionably, in my mind, an absolute cartel. And he just gets to walk off into the sunset after cashing. Like, how much did he make? Probably, I mean, it's more than $10 million, right? As a, as a head of the NCAA? Yeah, he was there for... Uh, was he there for 10 years? Over that. He, so God. he used to do a... The, and I don't know if the president, if Anamari Kause does this now, or if you know presidents in between have done it, but um, he used to come into the Daily's newsroom and for, for like a Q&A once uh-huh. a year really yeah um and he, gerberding never did that <laughs> and he came in um it was the spring of my senior year he uh-huh. was he had been announced as the ncaa president and was on his way out and i remember so i remember you know him coming into the newsroom and answering questions about that in the spring of 2010 yeah so yep. yeah good a good 12 years yeah Am I am I overly harsh? Like you can tell me if I'm being a jerk about it. No, I don't think so. I think that's fair, and I, I, I think the larger point, and we'll see where Charlie Baker takes it. But I think the larger point is that, like, what in the world does the president of the NCAA do? Yeah, because yes, he, and and I I remember this like that that day he came into our newsroom and answered some questions. I remember asking him about the possibility of a playoff. Hey, everybody hates the BCS. It it sucks. It objectively sucks, and college. It's ridiculous that college football is the only level of college athletics anywhere that doesn't have any sort of playoff for a championship. And I just asked him about, you know, is that a priority for you? Do you care about that? And I remember he totally, he totally de- just just bypassed it and was like, mm-hmm. oh. Well, you know, the and, and and he's correct about this, but I believe his response was basically, well, the NCAA is just a collection of the schools. It's not my job to set policy. It's not my job to suggest policy. You know, I act at their pleasure, basically. And if, you know, if that's something that, that they come together and decide they want to do, then fine. And I just remember thinking, like, man, that is that is so, just such a lack of innovation and forward thinking and being disappointed that, like, this is just the institution grinds on, you know? Yes. So, yeah. and I... Yeah. Nothing changed for 12 years. No, nothing. It, at a point in time where I think there was the opportunity, I think there was the opportunity and there was clearly a push for it. I, at every turn, the NCAA basically dug in its heels and said, wait, we'll try to fix this. Like as California is coming up with legislation that's going to prohibit the NCAA, like because that's the only reason NIL is there is because states across the country basically said, it is illegal for the NCAA to restrict college athletes from making money off of their name, image, and likeness. Like that's the only reason that happened. And Emmert at every turn was like, Wait, you don't do don't go too fast. Don't go too fast. Now we're gonna get this fixed. We're gonna get this fixed. And at the end of it, I mean, I'm incredibly cynical because he was just basically like, My entire mission there 
was to hold on for control as long as we possibly could and keep the animal that I was riding from dying right underneath me. Yep. And with a um, good set of hair. I think you do you need to give him credit for the beautiful renovations they did on that conference room that they stuck the women's basketball teams in for to, to lift weights at the NCAA tournament. That's the other thing. Nothing happened after that. <laughs> like nothing actually happened. Like I I cannot think of any more like egregious embodiment of the the difference in treatment, like how much more men got than the women and nothing happened like nothing none of those people got in trouble for that they were like oh we are taking steps to remedy this in the future it's like dude we just saw everybody saw how much worse the women are treated than the men and they're just like well that shouldn't have happened and and that was either was it right before or like right after that was the study that was like hey if if the ncaa took its women's basketball tournament rights to market they would get way more than they're settling for right now but they're not even trying Correct. Yes, it was after that. And it was that that was 100% what the report was is they claim that it's a matter of resources and they've done nothing to maximize the resources. Like they they were just basically sitting there throwing up their hands and saying, well, what can we do? And they're like, you never tried to do anything to grow that pot. We're dumping on TikTok, but TikTok was the reason that blew up, right? Yeah. So yeah, it was Sabrina, right? Ionescu? It wasn't Sabrina. It was one of her teammates. Oh, okay. Uh, I f- yeah. I forget her name, but um, it, yeah, it was an Oregon player. Yeah, it was really good. It, I thought it was it, it was it was perfectly. She didn't have to work too hard to show. Yeah, here it difference. is. It was like all of a sudden you look at like, the NCAA women's tournament is like Firefest. Um, do you uh, d- does Jen Cohen being named to the CFP committee do anything for you? I think it's I think it's a sure. step in the right direction as far as having some some West Coast representation. Although they, you know, Rick yeah. George is outgoing, so it's not like the Pac-12 hasn't had hasn't had people on there. Rob Mullins too. I'm I'm excited to see that. Yes, I am encouraged. I think it's great. It makes it less likely the Pac-12 will end up on Ion Television. <laughs> <laughs> what if What if Ion just just comes with a bag though? I would not be opposed to that. <laughs> now, I've softened a little bit, like, in part because of our conversations the past couple of weeks. Because for a while, I was fully on board with uh, just get as much money as you can. And if Apple or Amazon's going to give you the most money, take it, even if that means giving all your games to them. And then I was like, yeah, you can't really do that. Like, you, you need to have something that is on regular TV. Like, you need to have a game. Your best games need to be available on whether it's ESPN or Fox, like it needs to be available. But yeah, if they came with a bag that I just, it, it would be hard to imagine somebody going from criminal minds to like, well, they blew us away with their <laughs> offer. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, we don't have anything else that's worthwhile. So yeah, we'll put your stuff on. Criminal minds, thirsty for recognition. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <sighs> you got anything else to say? I'm excited for what's going forward. And again, I want to reiterate that I'm bummed. I'm, I just, and I'm, I'm glad that you're, t- you're, you're moving in the direction you are. Um, but I'm bummed that happened. And I'm sorry, Christian. I appreciate it. And, uh, and thank you again. I mean, truly to, to everyone who's reached out. It, it really means a lot. Um, it's, it's been very gratifying, uh, during a, a tough week, but you know what? Also an, an encouraging week. Um, and I'm I'm excited about the future. I want to end by 
encouraging everybody um, not only to to check out onmontlake.com, but to uh, to rate and subscribe to the podcast. Um, that helps too. It's going to remain free for the time being. Um, we are at 137 five star. Well, Hell yeah! 137 ratings on Apple Podcasts with a five star rating overall, and I think last I checked, we're over a hundred on Spotify now, 103, which is that's not easy to do. Spotify is not like a popular platform for rating podcasts, so um, very happy with with the intentionality displayed by some of our <laughs> listeners. And you have to you have to be a mindful consumer. Yes. <laughs> Uh, continue rating it, continue subscribing. Um, I'll say too, like the, the reaction to the, the podcast and reception to the podcast over the last year or so, um, especially these last several months, um, has, has also kind of blown me away. I mean, I don't know about you, but I just thought, Hey, you know, we'll give us a shot, little old podcast, me and you talking, it'll be fun and we'll see. But the, the ratings so far have, have kind of blown my mind and it's just another piece of data, another piece of encouragement that, Hey, there's there's still an audience, and you know, even if the national media um, doesn't care to serve you, uh, I still do, and we still do, and and I, I know we really appreciate it. So, thank you so much for your support already, for your support going forward. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>